Well, it is smarter to travel in groups. How about we travel together as a church while we're here on this earth? Wouldn't that be unique? Wouldn't that be a great idea for us to do? I tell you, unity is a powerful force. You just ask any military commander, you ask any business executive, you ask any football coach, you ask any pastor, and they will tell you the power of unity. Chuck Swindoll describes a cartoon showing two characters. One is a timid-looking man who sits alone watching television. The other is a headstrong woman who storms into the room and demands that he change the channel to, to a show that she wants to watch. He sheepishly asks what makes her think that she can come in here and just demand the show that she wants to watch. She takes her hand and puts that fist together. She says, these five fingers do. Well, the man was shocked, and, but he decided he was going to go ahead and just give her the remote and let her change the channel. He humbly walks out of the room. Then he looks at his hand. He says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> There's power in unity. Today I want to talk to you about something that God desperately wants for his people. It is one thing that Satan fears. It is something that Satan works day and night to undo. It is something for which Jesus himself prayed just before he went to the cross. It is the one thing that the Bible says will convince this world that there is something different about the church. That in fact the church has something that they don't have. It is the reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it is meant to accomplish... And that is unity. Now, let me be clear. I, when I speak about unity, I'm not just speaking about union, you know, that, uh, you know, we're a part of a union where we work together and we don't agree on anything, but we work together. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about uh, uniformity, where everyone looks alike, thinks alike. I'm not even speaking of unanimity, where we all agree on everything. Or at least everyone agrees with me. I'm not talking about that. Contrary to what you may think, I don't expect. No one on this staff expects uniformity nor unanimity in a church. But I believe what God wants, what all of us wants, is unity. Unity that is one in purpose, one in heart, and one in agreement with the truth. I believe Satan's strategy to defeat the church is very simple. Divide and conquer. What he wants to do is get us focusing on the minor things, the unimportant things, and use those, use those to divide us and then conquer us. Satan's method is deception. His motive is division. He wants to divide us. His mission is complete and utter destruction. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy us. He wants to deceive us so that he might, in fact, divide us and destroy us. But listen to what Jesus says. He says the gates of hell cannot prevail against a church united in the Lord Jesus Christ. God saw the power of unity at the very beginning of mankind. You may remember the Tower of Babel. Remember that mankind had grown, they had moved, and they were together. And together they were building this tower of Babel. It was going to be like unto heaven. That was replacing the glory of God with the glory of man. And listen to what God says when he sees this happen. The Lord says in Genesis 11, Behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. God saw the power of unity, what they could do. So he stopped that. And notice that even in our world today, even in our own experiences, we can see the power of unity for evil and for good. 
I mean, all of us know our history and know that the United Nazi Party wreaked havoc in this world as they were united to destroy others. We've seen other things like the USA hockey team who wins the gold medal, unbelievably, but united. And we see this power of unity that can be for good or for evil. But what we need to see, what I want the church to see, is the unity of a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit on mission for Jesus Christ. What could happen there? What could happen if a church, this church, Northside, if we were truly united as one under Jesus Christ, what do you think could happen? You know, I read about a man who one time went out on a boat deep sea fishing. Problem was, he could not swim. And he gets this huge fish, this big old fish. He's reeling in there, trying to reel it in. And in his excitement to get the fish into the boat, he falls over. Well, the dude can't swim, so he's crying out for help. Help, save me, save me. Captain very calmly reaches out his hand and grabs the man by the arm. What he didn't know was he had an artificial arm. He yanked and off came the arm. Threw that in the boat. Now the man's really frantic, okay? And he's thrashing all over the place. And he's able to get his leg. And with one big hard pull, boom, he realized the guy had a wooden leg. He could not believe it. Man's now, he is totally frantic. One arm, one leg, thrashing all about. So he says, that's what I'm going to do. This time, he says, I'm going to grab him. And he grabbed him by the hair. (laughs) He was wearing a toupee. Up it came. (laughs) And the man's still thrashing. Finally, the captain says to the man, look, mister, if you won't stick together, I can't help you. And I think God wants to say to us, church, look, if you won't stick together, I can't help you. You know, God, not even God, can use a church that won't stick together. That's why unity was so important. That's why Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. For what? For unity. He prayed for unity in the church. You know, Paul, when he was writing the uh, Philippians, he, he, part of what he wrote about was unity. He goes, y'all need to be united in the mission that you have. Well, Psalm 133 that we're going to be looking at today is a psalm of unity. Um, it was a psalm that, that was written for travelers at that time as they would go up to Jerusalem. And in Psalm 133, it says this. It starts with a title. It says, A Song of Ascents. Of David, ascents, like ascending, okay, ascending up. So a song of ascents of David, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the beard, I mean upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. Oh, it's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. See, I told you this was going to be a psalm about a journey, kind of like our little illustration that we had on the screen. It's a psalm of a people together, people that are together on a journey. Pilgrims, many times, would travel together. In fact, all the time, they would travel together when they would go to the three major festivals that would be in Jerusalem, uh, Passover, Day of Atonement, Pentecost. And these were the three major ones. And groups would come together, and they would travel. Because when you went to Jerusalem... At some point, you were climbing. It's on Mount Zion, right? You're climbing to get up there. And so these were a psalm of ascents. And there's like 15 of them they call a psalm of ascents. And these psalms would be sung by the pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem during these three major festivals. In fact, Mary and Joseph, uh, when they went to Jerusalem, like we read about it, uh, when they went to the Passover, they would have traveled in one of these large groups. In fact, a lot of people wonder, how could they lose their oldest son. Remember when Jesus was lost? Remember when they finally found him in the temple? I think they looked like three days. But what it said in in the Gospel of Luke, it says they went a day's journey and then realized he was gone. Now, I had five kids. It's easy to lose one, okay? I mean, it happens. 
I, you know, you get going and, and you didn't do a head count that day. And before you know, where is this? You know, you, you can lose them. But not for a whole day. How do you lose one for a whole day? Well, here's the thing. Jesus was probably with them in the morning. They take off. And they just assume he's there until dinner time comes. And then all of a sudden, uh, hey, uh, Jude or James, would y'all go get Jesus? We can't find him. And then they look, and then it's been a full day's journey. See, that's what happened. They were traveling these large groups that just kind of took care of one another, and they would sing these songs. Look, we're pilgrims, aren't we? The Bible says we're strangers on this earth. We're traveling not to Jerusalem, but to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're on this path. Who knows how long we'll be on it, but we're on this journey for a certain amount of time. Wouldn't it be better to travel together? I like traveling together. I like having a full group. You know, I take travel, uh, go to Texas all the time. I like having all the family with me. I don't like driving to Texas by myself. It's good to, why don't we do that? Why don't we just decide this morning that while we're on this earth, we're going to travel together to that new Jerusalem, that heavenly one that the Lord has for us. Well, to do that, we are going to need unity. And I think, since we're talking about unity, that I ought to define it. You know, what is unity? Well, first of all, the biblical definition of unity is it's a condition of harmony or accord. For example, you heard the early church. When it talked about the early church in Acts, it said the early church was of one accord. Great. The number of theologians we have in the crowd this morning. Of one accord. So that when they prayed... The house was shaken, it says, by the power of the Spirit. Why? There was a unity there. A unity that was so powerful. Another uh, definition of unity says the quality or state of not being multiple. Oneness. In other words, it doesn't look like a bunch of selfish attitudes. All right? It looks like a team. It's not like that one song says, I want to talk about me, I want to talk about my, I want to talk about... Number one, oh me, oh mine. A number of y'all know that song. And it's all about who? It's all about me. And everything we look at, we look at it from a filter of how does this affect me. Not how does this affect the church, how does it affect the kingdom, but how does it affect me. But unity is not like that. It doesn't say, look at me. Why don't all of y'all agree with me? Can't you see? I am always right I've tried that in my family. That don't work. But the fact is, we have that. Let me tell you something that would help unity. This is getting a little bit off to the side here. But one thing that would really help unity is for all of us to get this idea in our head. Get this simple idea in your head. I could be wrong. I mean, you don't know what that will do for unity. Just coming to the point that you say... I could be wrong. Most of the times our fights occur because I'm right, I know I'm right, and I'm going to die upon this hill. I don't care how meaningless this hill is. Unity is oneness, not being multiple. You know, I heard this story about a pastor. You know, he invited a number of senior adults to a garden party, senior adult ladies. And, uh, And it was just going to be a wonderful time, but he forgot to invite one. Well, a faithful, faithful one that was just so uh, uh, a part of the church. He couldn't believe he forgot. And it was hours before the party, the garden party was about to start. So he calls her up. He says, look, I'm sorry. I forgot to invite you. Would you please come to our garden party today? And uh, she declined the invitation. And matter of factly said, no, I can't come. I've already prayed for rain today. Who was she thinking about? <laughs> I, I, I'm more like the, the uh, picture of the Special Olympics. Y'all remember the one in Seattle? It's a pretty popular story. You may have heard about it before. But where they're having the 100-yard uh, dash, that's what I call it. I know it's 110 meters or something, but it's a 100-yard dash still to me. And they were doing that uh, in the Special Olympics. And you know, all of these uh, kids that are competing in the Special Olympics have their own different types of challenges, but they have them. But, man, they all want to win. They want to run hard, you know. And so, man, the gun goes off, and eight of them take off running down. And they're running as fast as they can go when one of them falls and uh, skins his knee. Now, the other ones keep running, but they look back and they see him. And then the first one stops and goes back 
And then the other six stop. They go back. One of the girls uh, come up to him and kiss him on the knee and says, this will make it feel better. They helped him get up, and arm in arm, they went across the finish line together. Oh, that's a beautiful picture of the church. Because you know what? We all fall down, don't we? Anyone here not falling down? Somebody here that's perfect, raise your hand so we can stone you. (laughs) We've all fallen. And let me tell you, what we don't need, when we know we've fallen, we've heard what we don't need is somebody saying, you, I can't believe you. What we need is people to come up alongside and say, hey, let me help you. Let me dust you off. Let's go across the finish line together. I mean, that's what Jesus did, the woman caught in adultery. He says, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Get up, dust yourself off, go and sin no more. Man, that's a picture of the church. Well, this, this concept of unity is all through this psalm. In fact, the Hebrew word there, and it, I cannot pronounce it, but it's yachad, Y-A-C-H-A-D. It means unitedness, to be one and unity together. But what I want you to see, I won't even tell you that because I don't know Hebrew, but I want you to, uh, to understand that that word is actually used twice in that psalm. In that second line, that first verse, how, how pleasing, how good it is for, for brothers to dwell together in unity, the word together, the word unity there are the same word. In other words, it could be kind of interpreted like this or translated kind of like this, how, how pleasant, how good it is for brethren, for brothers to dwell together in togetherness. Do you see? And the Hebrew, I do know this, didn't have words like we do, like fast, faster, fastest. When they wanted to say something was really, you know, special like that, really fastest, they would just repeat it. That's why we see in the Old Testament, holy, holy, holy. They don't say holiest. They just repeat it three times, holy, to intensify that word. And here the psalmist is intensifying this word unity or togetherness. Because the simple matter is we can dwell together and not be unified, right? I mean, just because you're a member of a church, does that mean we're unified? Man, for goodness sake, just because you're a member of a family, does that mean you're unified? No, it doesn't. We know that from experience. So the psalmist wants to talk about here that, uh, that dwelling together is so important in unity. In fact, you can simply dwell together and still get into separate cliques, can't you? I mean, I've, have you ever walked into a place and, you know, you feel like... Uh, and the Western's old black Bart coming through the saloon doors. You know, everyone's talking and having a good time. And you walk into the room and you hear crickets chirp. That's like, what I do? You know, <laughs> everyone kind of looks at you. I mean, you feel like you don't belong there. Some guy comes up to you and says, uh, not from around here, area. You know, you can, you can dwell together but still get into your separate cliques. In fact, you know, Paul deals with this in the church of Corinth, which had their own separate cliques. And look, look at this in 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13. He says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I mean, not only had they gotten into their separate cliques, but look, they gave their separate cliques names. There was the Paul clique, the Cephas clique, the Apollos clique. And for the super highly spiritual, there was the Jesus clique. Y'all are groups of men. We are a group of Jesus. And you see how these cliques were created and how they divided See, just because you're a member of the Corinthian church doesn't mean you're united. Hey, just let me just let you know a secret. Just because we're all members of the Northside church doesn't mean we're united. It takes a whole lot more than that. Now, the Bible says this. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. This goes back to what I said, to that simple truth. You can be wrong. 
you can be wrong. All right. In fact, you can dwell together and still talk bad about each other. Oh, come on. We've all heard it, haven't you? Somebody come up to you and say something. Like you got a juicy little piece of gossip. Ooh, man. You know, and, it, and you can't help it. You know, you want to hear it. Because, you know, if, if someone else, man, if someone else is really bad, they're really, you know, some really good juicy piece of gossip on them, that means you're better, right? I would, oh, I would never do that. Never. Oh, I cannot believe it. Now, sometimes it's not like that. We're not just talking bad about each other, but we disguise it. Yeah, we do. We disguise it. We, uh, can you pray with me about something? We need to pray for Sally. Yesterday, I went over to her house, take her a pound cake because she wasn't feeling too well. And, oh, that house was a mess. There was mold with mold on it. I'll tell you what she needs. She needs a Mary Maid's intervention. Let's pray for her right now. Oh, Lord, may the spirit of cleanliness rain down upon Sally. Anoint her with Lysol, Lord. That makes us feel spiritual because we prayed about it. Now, the one we all know that's so famous, you can say, you can say the worst thing about anyone as long as you end it with three words. Bless her heart. Did, did you see Susie's dress? Oh, my goodness, it looks like a prairie dress. Bless her heart. And we talk bad about each other. Oh, can we just stop it? Let's encourage one another. You know, you can dwell together and still talk bad about Scripture here. For the lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Are you a builder of fire, a builder of contention? Or do you help to put it out? Which are you? And finally, you can dwell together and still be divisive. Let me tell you, this is one that's really personal to me. The first church I, I joined, when I was a believer, I joined. This is a church plant. I joined it, and let me tell you something. I was so happy. We were such a team. I can't even begin to describe it to you, how wonderful it felt. I mean, I was 16 years old, just learned how to drive, driving me and my little sister to church. And I would go there, and it was like, I love you guys. And they, we love you, Steve. And it was just so beautiful. I can't even begin to describe it. And so that church... It's actually where I felt my call to the ministry there. And they all laid hands on me. They prayed for me. And look, me and my family went off to, uh, I mean, my mom and dad, all of us came, went to Liberty University where I was there for that uh, first semester when the pastor came to visit me to tell me that the church was closing its doors. What? How can that be? Oh, well, his wife had said something and someone else got upset about it. They began talking about it. All that was going on. And they closed the doors. I mean, my family and I moved back. And I honestly, I'm telling you the truth, I remember thinking, is this all real? Was I, was I just duped into this? Now the Lord, praise, thank you Lord for delivering me out of that. But for a moment I began to think, man, I thought this was something. I thought this was real. And see, you, we can all dwell together, yet we can still be divisive. And that's one thing we ought to be very careful about. <laughs> you know, the, the Bible says this. There are six things which the Lord hates. Notice the word hates. Doesn't just dislike it. Just doesn't prefer it. It says he hates it. Seven, which are an abomination unto him. And one of those is one who spreads strife among brothers. Let me tell you something. Guys, what we need, what people need to see is a united church. We have so many things that we can get all bent out of shape about that are not important. They're not important. I'm going to, a little while, tell you what the Word of God says is important. But we get bent out of shape over things that are not important. I can remember when I was, a, again, young guy. You know what a, one of the big battles was? Was, were we going to use the KJV or not? 
I mean, I think there was a poem. Oh, the KJV, it's the book for me. Da, da, da. No, I don't know if it was exactly like that. But it was, it was the big deal. And I was wondering, I was beginning to study, what are the different translations? You know, I was like, oh, God, I need to know this. And finally, a much more mature Christian, I asked him about it, and he said something that answered it for me. I said, should, should I just study the KJV? Or he says, hey, look, if the KJV was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Think about that for a second. It's coming. Yes, they did not have English in Paul's day. That's right. There was no KJV. And I began to realize, wow, for 1,600 years, they did not use the KJV. They used something else. And so, and hey, the KJV is a great book. Don't hear me saying anything bad about it. I'm not. But churches were divided about that subject. Do you hear me? Churches were divided over that subject. You know, there's a term, you probably heard it today. Uh, today. It's the one big one today. You heard the term worship wars? That's what a lot out in the community think about what's going on in the church. They've heard the term worship wars. I mean, don't you hate that? I don't know. That is not what I want them to think about the church. I don't want them to think that about my church, that there's a war going on. Wars are where people fight and divided. People die. But that's the big thing that you'll hear out. That's a phrase that's being used in the church today, in the church today, worship wars. You know, what if... Yeah, I heard a PBS story. A PBS story. You know, PBS is not exactly your conservative channel. But a PBS story was this. The impact of the church on China. The impact of the church on China. I wonder why I missed it. I can't believe I missed it. But can you imagine that? They were talking about the church, underground church. They meet in little homes. They don't have any of the resources that we have. But they meet there together, and they are absolutely impacting the government there in China. They're impacting the society there. And how are they able to do that? They don't have our money. They don't have our resources. They don't have our seminaries. And let me tell you why. They don't minor on the minors. They major on the majors, and they are unified in what they're doing. Man, I wish that what I would hear about the church today It's not about worship wars or KJV. I would like to hear, you know, in 2013, 2013, that's when the church of Jesus Christ experienced revival. Man, that's when God rained down his spirit. The church was unified and went out on mission, advancing the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you like to hear that about church today? The problem is we can dwell together and still talk bad about each other, still be divisive. And if I, one other thing, I just want to, point out is you can dwell together and still pick up your toys and quit playing. I've got some grandkids. It's funny. You know, I, I love, uh, love my grandkids, but, you know, they, they've, never, they've never worked a minute in their life. They have not earned any money at all whatsoever, not a dime. However, every toy they get, they think they bought it. They think it's theirs. You know, they start playing with it, and the other one comes along and plays with it. And what's the word they say? Mine. That's right. And when things don't happen their way, okay. I take my toys home, and no one's going to get to play. How do we do that as a church? Oh, we get upset. We, get, we minor on the minor sometimes. We get upset about something, and you say, you know what? I'm not serving anymore. That'll teach them. That's it. I'm not giving. I'll give to United Way. That's where my money's going. I'm not going to give anymore. That will show those guys. The truth is, we lose the blessing. You know, Rocky's been talking about blessing and the blessed life. The blessed life is one that we share together. That we share together. It's funny, you know, you talk about giving. And I think about the widow who gave the two mites. You remember where that story where she gave the two mites and Jesus commended her for that? She gave two little pennies, but she gave all that she had. Do you know where she gave that money? The temple. Do you know the people in that temple, the leaders there were the ones who were going to reject Jesus? And yet Jesus commended her because she was doing obediently what God called her to do. You may not agree with everything Northside does, but as a unified front, we need to march together to advance the kingdom of God.
All right. So, you know, dwelling together is not the same as unity. However, there are some things that are a basis for unity, and that's what we need to know. That's really what I wanted to dwell on, is what is the reason for our unity? What is the basis for our unity? And the first one is God himself. Or phrased another way, the lordship of God's son. Who is this psalm being written to? Brothers. It is addressed to brethren. Brethren here refers to the people of God. Now, in order to be brothers, you must have the same father. If you have the same father, you must be in the same family. What is true in the physical realm is just as true in the spiritual realm. To be brothers in the spiritual sense, you must have God as your father. If God is your father, then you are in God's family. But listen, you must be born. You must be born into the family of God. Jesus said, you must be born again. John 1, 12, Jesus says these words, but as many as received him, as many as received Jesus, to them God gave the right to become one of his children. To as many as received Jesus, to them God gave the right to become one of his children. See, what unites us, first of all, is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right now for you, I mean, this whole unity thing, in fact, this whole spiritual family thing is more like theory to you than anything else. In fact, you don't have a personal relationship with God as your heavenly father. That may be where you are this morning. You really can't be united. You really can't experience the blessings of unity until you experience submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And and God didn't want to make it difficult. I mean, you understand the problem. The problem is you've blown it. You've sinned. And that sin separates you from God. And I don't care if it's a little tiny sin, little white lie type thing, or it's some huge sin. Doesn't matter. They both separate you from God. And here's the thing, though. God wants to forgive you of both of them. The little sins in your life and the one that you're most ashamed of right now. The one that you think of, man, I am so ashamed. He wants to cleanse you from that. So what did he do? He sent Jesus, his son, here to this earth. Perfect in every way. He came here. And then he went to the cross and died for you. What did he do when he did that? He took the penalty for your sins. So now you don't have to experience separation from God. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus experienced that for you. Do you remember when he cried out from the cross? Remember those words, those horrible words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated. That is what we should have experienced for eternity. But he took that upon himself. They put him in a tomb, but death couldn't hold him. He rose from the tomb. And now look, listen to me. He offers to you forgiveness. And because he defeated death at the empty tomb, he offers to you eternal life for each one. But what must you do? You must submit to his lordship. You must turn from your sins and turn to him. And when you do that, when you give your life to him like that, he gives you forgiveness, eternal life, and get this. He adopts you. That's right. He adopts you into his family. You become a child of God. You become a part of the family, a part of the team. And now you can experience truly the blessings of unity. When you put your faith in God the Father, Jesus is Lord. You allow, yourself, you allow yourself to be put in the position to be adopted by God into his marvelous family. But not only God uh, that is a basis for our unity, the word of God. If God, if the lordship of Jesus Christ is one of the bases of our unity, then certainly his word is going to be another basis. In other words, what this book says and what we believe about this is critical. But I cannot be united with you if you think this is just a book of fables or 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 good stories, moral stories, and not the very word of God. The Bible is clear that all Scripture is written, the inspiration, God breathed. This book is inerrant, no error, it's infallible, and it is what we must follow in our life. This book unites us. In fact, if it's not in this book, 
then you may be wrong. Or it may be just a preference. But it's this book right here that unites us. You know, it's interesting when it talks about unity here, it talks about the oil, you know, coming down on the head and running down the beard, right? Even Aaron's beard. And, and then it talks about the dew from Mount Hermon coming to Mount Zion. And I know what you're thinking. Why is that saying about unity? That unity is like greasy and wet? I, I'm not sure what, what that means. Well, I think we have to go back to what they were talking about there. First of all, we see in the scripture, we go back to Exodus 29. It talks about this anointing of Aaron. It says, you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the tunic. And then get this. Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint, anoint him. See, what they were talking about there, it's not some good idea about pouring oil on Aaron's head, but they were talking about obedience to the word of God. And that's what they were doing. Jesus says this in that, uh, in that prayer right before he went to the cross about unify, unity. Listen to what his words. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, this word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, this is God's word. It unites us. The Bible says we're sanctified by it. We're set apart. We're different. We are. We're different because the word. we're different from the world, but together we're alike. We're united because of this word. And then finally, the mission of God unites us. There's another basis of our unity. Now, the, the consecration of Aaron that you saw here, where they were pouring the oil on him, I want you to know that was a capstone to their mission, really. It was at the formation of the nation of Israel that this happened. Understand, you remember when they went to Egypt? Joseph was already there. He was in prison, rose to rank. And then uh, later, Jacob and the other brothers came with their children. And the Bible says there were about 70 of them. About 70 of them went to Egypt. Now, they, that's not really a nation. But God had called them to be a nation. And so some 400 years later, now they had grown into a large group. They were slaves, not really a nation, just slaves, just a workforce, really. But then God called them out to be the nation of Israel. And you know the crossing of the Red Sea, and then they go into the wilderness, and there God speaks to them. And Aaron becomes the first high priest, the spiritual leader. And now God is calling them to be something distinct. I, want you, I don't want you to miss this. Be something distinct. He wants them to be a nation that reflects his glory. A nation that becomes a testimony to his power. And so as they're looking back to this time and Aaron being consecrated with this oil, they're looking back to the time of the formation of their nation. When they became more than just a nation, they became more like a theocracy ruled by God to go and reflect his glory. You know, we have a mission as well. They were to go into the promised land. They were uh, to uh, go into the promised land and claim that as their nation. Jesus gave us a mission. Listen to this. I think we all know it, but I think it's good for us to hear it again. It says, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our mission. Man, that is why we exist. Do you get that? That's our purpose. We are to be here to accomplish that mission. There are churches that exist for a number of different reasons. I mean, there's ones that are very political, and all they talk about is politics. And nothing, you can't bring up something about politics every now and then. I'm not saying that, but to be that, your main purpose is wrong. There's some that have the social gospel, and they're all about doing good things. Doing good things, that's good. But look, if you feed somebody, and they go to hell on a full stomach, have we really helped them? No. 
It has to be both, and it has to include the gospel. It has to include the mission that he's given to us to make disciples of all nations. That unites us, guys. That's why we're here. That's why we breathe. That's why we take up space. So that we would accomplish this mission as a church, and we do it so much better united than we do divided. That mission is one of the basis for our unity. It should be something that just pervades our thoughts and our actions. We should each week be thinking and wondering, how do I go about accomplishing the mission that God has given to this church, to Northside? And then finally, the provision of God unites us. You know the dew that came down from Mount Hermon? That came down to Mount Zion as well? That wasn't something that they created. That was something that God did. And in fact, our unity is not something that really we can do. God has to provide that unity. And that dew, that refreshing source of nourishment came from God. And the thing that nourishes our unity is God as well. as He provides for us the unity that we need. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and what it says there. It says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up building up unity of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Oh, the truth is we need each other. I hate to tell you this, but you need me. That's right. (laughs) That's right. You can't fire me. You need me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) The truth is I need you. I need you. We need each other. God gave us to each other so that we could build up the body, so that we could better accomplish his mission. He provided you to me and me to you so that we could advance his kingdom. Well, we've been talking about, in this series, about blessings, and we've seen the basis for our unity. Let's go to the blessings of our unity. And the first thing that we see about unity is that it's something good, right? How good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It creates something good. In fact, that word good there is the same word that is used to describe oil. The oil that went down Aaron's beard, which was precious. Those two Hebrew words are the same. So unity creates something good, something precious, which means something valuable. You know, that's what I I call my granddaughters. I got two granddaughters. That's what I call them. I call them precious. Come here, precious. Because they're so valuable. I just love them, you know. They're awesome. I know you've all heard this before, but it is the truth. That God rewards us with grandchildren for not killing our own children, right? And they are just such a blessing. And, uh, and so I call them precious. But really, uh, that word just how valuable, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and that's why he talks about unity. It's something so precious, so valuable. Once you've experienced it, once you've experienced true unity, oh, it is just wonderful. But it also causes something pleasant. Unity creates something pleasant. Uh, if you've ever served on a true team, then you know this is the truth. It's a team where you love each other. You sacrifice for each other. All for one, one for all. Oh, how pleasant, how wonderful that is. God has blessed me with a great family. I mean, I abs. I just love getting Thanksgiving. Oh, man, we all get together. We eat. We talk. I just love it. Love it. God has blessed me. And that feeling is so good. And if you don't have that feeling in your own family, I'm, I, I, I am sorry because it is such a wonderful thing to have a family that's united, that loves one another. I love Northside. Do you love Northside? Man, we ought to tell everybody we love Northside. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I bet how many of you Facebooked something after the South Carolina game? Huh? Twittered something, tweeted, or whatever that word is, you did that? Mm, a bunch of you did, and you're not raising your hands. A bunch of stinking liars. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But the fact is, is that we do. We, we put on Facebook all these things that we think are so important to us that are so good. How about you Facebook something like, I love Northside. Man, what, I, the Lord really spoke to me Sunday morning. The worship was just awesome. Man, I love that song. Facebook about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he means to you. I mean, we've got so many things that we could just celebrate because unity is so pleasant. You know, Hadrian, the emperor Hadrian of Rome, 
sent a guy to find out, what is it with these Christians? Because they were having impact on Rome. The guy came back, and he, he didn't really find out too much, but he went to the emperor, and he just said these words, Behold, how they love one another. Man, I tell you what, I look forward to coming to church. I do. I love North Side. I love coming here. I love shaking your hand. I love hugging your neck. I mean, I love saying hello. Do you love coming to Northside? Do you love church? Do you really? Did you wake up this morning and say, oh, dear Lord. I stayed up watching Missouri and A&M. God, please, you got to cut me some slack here, you know. And then you get up anyway because, you know, you're very legalistic or whatever. No, I'm kidding. But you get up and you come to church. It's like, oh, I'd rather be in bed sleeping right now. Maybe some of you, I don't know, maybe some of you've had an argument on your way here. Maybe some of you did that. But here's the thing. This should be one of the best places we come to all week. I love Northside. I do. And I love you guys. And I, and I hope you love me. I think you do. You tell me you do. So, uh, and I haven't ever heard you say bless his heart. So, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm thinking that, that it were okay. But the fact is, I love coming here. I love you guys. Do you? Man, let's shout it from the rooftops. I love Northside. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what a team does. I hope that's what you'll do. Unity creates something really good, really pleasant. If I unity creates life. You know, it says, for there the Lord commanded his blessing. In the psalm, commentators are not sure if there refers to unity. For there in unity, God commanded his blessing. Or Zion. The whole psalm seems to be about unity. So you kind of would think it would be about that. But the blessing, the supreme blessing was life itself. I mean, unity creates life. And it's abundant life. Life today that you can have. In fact, if you don't know God as your father, today you can experience life. But do you know, as a church, we can experience life. And not just, I'm not talking about just existence. I mean, we all have biological life, but some of us right now are miserable. I know in a group this size, some of you are miserable. When I say those words, you want to just raise up your hand and say, it's me, it's me, it's me. Help me. This is where you should get help. But the fact is, is that God offers us life, abundant life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And do you know where you get most of your life? When you really, really begin to experience life is when you quit focusing on yourself and you start helping others. So many times we get focused on ourselves and then before you know it, it's like, whoa, it's me. I'm lost. I'm undone. I'm miserable. Why doesn't life treat me better? Just go out and help somebody. You'll feel better. So, <laughs> abundant life that you can have today. But you know what? It's not just for today. It's forever, forever more. You know, Revelation 21 talks about a time that there's going to be no more sorrow. Get that, no more sorrow. No more tissue factories in heaven because we don't need them because we won't be crying there. There'll be no more pain, no more sickness. Hospital's gone. We won't need Obamacare. We'll have God care. <laughs> so, uh, man, I've been waiting for like 10 years to say that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but the truth is, there'll be no more hospital. You know, there'll be, the Bible says there'll be no more death. No more death. Death will be done away with. There'll only be life, real life, forevermore, real unity forevermore. And you know what you can experience? You can experience that here, that unity, that life. I mean, really do something. Look around. Look around. I'm not being cute. Look around. Look at each other. Look at these people around you. Let me tell you something. Right now, if you did that, you are looking, listen, you are looking at a group that could change the world. I am dead serious. 500 people at the start of the church and here, in 60 years, they reached the known Roman world with the gospel. It's amazing. Why? They were united. What did the Bible say? In one accord. Men united together under the lordship of Jesus Christ, following the truth of his word, working, serving in the same mission that he's given us. We could change the world. We could change this community. What stops us? Is it God? No, he wants us. He wants us to be unified. 
Was it the enemy? Is it the devil? Is it Satan that stops us? No. The Bible says gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Listen to me. The only thing that stops us is ourselves. The only thing that stops us is ourselves. We could have revival here. We could have a movement of God's spirit like we've never seen before. The only thing that stops us is ourselves. So the question is, are you a unifier or a divider? I mean, do you bring people down or do you build them up? Which are you? Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers because they're true members of my family. Is that where you are? I'd like us to, everyone, close your eyes and bow your head. And the first one I want to speak to this morning is one you've never been a part of a team that included God as your heavenly father. That included Jesus as your Lord. You may have been together with the church for years. Even a member. You've attended, but you've never truly committed your life to the only one who can give you life. And you're tired of playing games. You want to be a part of what I'm talking about. Something special. You long to know God and live forever with him. But you've never nailed that down. If this expresses your desire, then I want you to pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. And I ask you to forgive me for every single one of them. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That he was buried. Oh, but that he arose again the third day. And at this very moment, I turn from all my sins. And I turn completely to Jesus. And I give him my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.